Tonight we're going to talk about Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, where God on the seventh day of creation rests. Um, and I don't know why I'm surprised by this after knowing Busby for, I guess, like 12 years or 13 years now, but I think he must do it on purpose. John Wells and I were talking about this after the first service. I really wonder if he doesn't pick and choose passages of scripture where he knows the person who's preaching it is literally the opposite of the thing they're preaching about. Um, Because if you know me, and there are several people right up here at the front who know me really, really well, I am probably the least restful person ever, um, whether that's like God's rest or just restlessness. And so um, even if you guys don't get anything out of this sermon tonight, it was amazing for me. And so um, I'm going to leave here very challenged. Um, So um, (laughs) if you haven't been with us uh, for the last couple of weeks, let me give give you a quick overview of where we've been so you know where we're going. For the last five weeks, we've been working our way through the creation stories, one of my favorite passages in scripture. And it's We've been doing it slowly and methodically. We've been savoring it like this fine meal, right? It's really complex, right? We spent five weeks in Genesis chapter one, if that gives you any idea of the complexity that's found in there. It's full of nuance. It's rich with the character of God. It's our first introduction to God introducing himself as the creator of the universe who knows us, he loves us, and he made us, right? So in week one, we found, we saw how God brings order to chaos, fullness to emptiness, light to dark places. In week two, we looked at these foundational issues, issues of Christianity, of our beliefs, of how God rules his world, these concepts of obedience and the Bible's moral order, and what it means to actually know God, that he can be known through his self-disclosure in his word. And then in week three, we talked about the Imago Dei, being made in the image of God, how Every one of you, every one of us, every person is not ordinary. How you have never met an ordinary person. How we're invited to look at each one of ourselves differently, each person differently, because each of us shows a unique thing that can only be learned about God through you, through that person. And to think deeply about the ways that our lives and we as individuals reflect him. And then last week, Joel invited us to consider this idea of dominion, how the Lord gives power to people, to us, so that we can participate in the creation he has made, how he's blessed us and empowered mankind to participate in creation by creating more image bearers of God, how we're called to rule over and subdue the world, to fight evil, to stamp it out, to develop the fullness, the flourishing, and the potential of the world, but how we're really faced with these two major problems. One, that we should constantly be on the lookout because evil is out to destroy and mess that work up. But maybe even um, more sadly, but even more pronounced is the fact that um, we as sinful humans use this power that God's given us to destroy ourselves, hurt others, and damage his creation. But at every single one of those weeks, and just like tonight, we're invited to look at Jesus, to look to Jesus as the perfecter of our faith and as the example of the ideal image bearer of God, how to live and to rule in the context of this creation that God has created. And this week, we're going to look, like I said, at Genesis chapter two, verses one through three. And I apologize, only verses one and two are in your worship guide. That's my mistake. Um, I forgot to tell Laurel to include verse three. So if you have your Bible or you have your phone, because I know all of you have that, you can pull it up on there. Um, And we're also going to look at Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. We're going to look at this seventh day of creation, and it's different. 
that on the seventh day, God stopped. He rested. He sat down to rule. And this is different. This rest is not the word rest that you and I think of. Okay. It is not little r rest. Like I'm tired. Like, let me just go ahead and self-confess. I am exhausted. Like I could use your prayers right now. I am tired. And I have to, tomorrow morning, I have a 4 a.m. lift picking me up at my house to fly to Charleston. So it's not going to get better. Right? What we're talking about is God's big R rest, this idea of sabbat, to cease, to stop. And that's what God did. He sat down to rule. And he calls us as his children, as his image bearers, as the rulers of this world. He whispers to us, he calls us intimately that if he rested, that we can probably rest too. So before we actually read the text, here's a quick outline of where we're going tonight. So if you're a note taker, you know what we're going to cover. Number one, God wants our rest more than he wants our work. And then number two, God isn't worried about his world. And then lastly, because of those, I think it begs a question from us. At least it did for me as I was prepping this sermon. And that is, what are you, what am I so restless about? So let's look at this concept of rest and let's read together God's words. So if you have your Bible, open it up. Again, Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it, God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. And then we're going to flip over to Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, where Jesus is speaking and he issues this invitation. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Can you pray with me? Lord, we know, we read in Scripture, so we intellectually know and we acknowledge that your rest, that your burden, that what you ask of us is light in comparison to the anxieties and the troubles of this world. But Lord, we struggle, at least I struggle, Lord, to cling to that truth, to emotionally, to connect it in my heart that it is true. So Father, I just pray tonight that the words that you have given me to prepare, Father, that they would be of you, that anything that is not would fall away, but those that are, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts and our minds, that they would take deep root there, that we would find comfort and solace, but also challenge and conviction that we are to lean into you and not away from you in times of trouble and despair, but also that we will find our ultimate rest and satisfaction and flourishing in you. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So um, when I was a kid, uh, my grandmother moved in with us for a period of time and lived with us for about four or five years. Uh, maybe you guys have had a similar experience or you lived with grandparents, but they're, it's a really sweet thing or can be a really sweet thing. There are a lot of sweet things that I remember about that time, how she taught me to count, how she taught me to use money by playing Monopoly with me almost every day. 
how she would scratch my back before I'd go to bed or how I'd fall asleep to that almost every night. Um, but one of the things I remember the most vividly and one of the things that I hang on to as a really treasured memory for me is how she would make homemade bread in our kitchen and how once it was made, she would roll out these little balls of dough and then she would fry them and we'd eat them with like jam or butter or peanut butter while they were hot and they'd like melt in your mouth. I mean, it was like amazing. I mean, I'm having like a physical reaction remembering it right now. And sometimes if I was home while she was doing this, she'd let me help her make the bread. And when you make bread, some of you are way more experienced at this than I am. I haven't done it in 40 years, 30 years, not that old. Um, You have to let it rest and then rise and then knead it again and let it rest and rise. And you do this two or three or four times before it's ready to be baked. And the reason you do this is so that it can develop all of those wonderful little air bubbles in it as the, re- the yeast is released and works in the dough, right? It relaxes the protein, the gluten in the bread and allows it to have that like airiness that, that homemade bread has that's amazing. But the important part is that rest, that ceasing of working the dough, it has a purpose, right? There's a purpose in letting it rest, It's actually accomplishing something in the rest. It's foundational to the finished product. Because if you don't let it rest, if you don't let it fully form, it changes it at like a fundamental level. It won't be bread. It'll still be, technically it'll be bread. But it'll be dense. It'll be less flavorful. It'll have almost like a cake kind of consistency rather than that light, lovely bread. Right? It's fundamental to the finished work. And that's what we're going to see here in Genesis. That's what this text is telling us, is that this idea of rest, this big R rest, God's rest, it's a foundational concept. It is central to our existence as Christians and as his children, which brings us to my very first point, which is God wants your rest. He wants my rest. He wants our rest more than he wants our work. So what do I mean by that? Let's look at the text one more time. The heavens and the earth are finished and all the host of them. And the seventh day comes and God finishes his work that he's done and he rests on the seventh day from all of the work. And he blesses the seventh day. He makes it holy because on it, God rested from all the work he had done in creation. I talked about this right at the beginning, but this idea of rest, the term that's used here, it's not a remedy for exhaustion after a long work week. It can't be that, right? Here with me, there's a logical concept here. It can't be rest in the sense of how we think of rest because God doesn't need rest. He doesn't tire. He doesn't grow weary, right? His work didn't exhaust him. He didn't need a nap, right? The word rest here, sabbat, actually means cease to stop, more than it means rest. It's about the enjoyment of accomplishment, a celebration of completion, not relaxation. And remember how each of the previous six days of creation ended. They all ended with the same phrase, and God saw that it was good. What I think God is really showing us here isn't a model of how to relax or how to take a break from the rigors of our job and work as we know it, but it's rather it's a spiritual model for renewal, but it's also a spiritual model for how we are to live our day-to-day lives. 
And we really see this play out across the pages of Genesis and the Old Testament in a bunch of ways. As you continue to read through Genesis and continue into the Old Testament, you're gonna see that every single time that they're striving and work and accomplishment, it's not when God is glorified. It's when God calls and rescues and intervenes and preserves his people when they enter into that dependency on him that he wants most that he treasures most, that he is the most glorified, reminding them that it's not their work that brings in the most glory, but it's their rest in him. God's call of the Abrahamic covenant and bringing him, making a people devoted to himself, the repeated stories of Israel's toil and feudal work and slavery and in the wilderness, slavery in Egypt and these descriptions of hard toil. We don't see God, we don't hear about or read about God being glorified through Israel's toils and slavery. What we do see is contrasted against God's rescue of his people, how he hears their groans and their cries and he sends rest, a rescue for them physically and spiritually, a ceasing of that. And then they wander and they toil and they strive in the desert to find rest in the promised land, right? Provision from the Lord, a celebration and fulfillment of promise and a reminder that the Lord is always in control. And these are all reminders. They're all reminders for uh, them, but they're also reminders for us. Like when Moses speaks, when God speaks through Moses in Deuteronomy 5 and he reminds Israel that when he brought them out of slavery, they were to remember his provision, remember his rest, remember his assurance and to celebrate what he had done. And this foundational concept starts right here in Genesis 2. It's important to notice the time and the place where God's rest falls in creation. So day six, the pinnacle of creation. We talked about it last week. God creates Adam and Eve. He creates his image bearers here on the earth, told to rule and subdue the earth. And then God sets the seventh day apart. It's different than the other six. And when God sets something apart, when the Bible specifically tells us that something is different and set apart, we should perk up. We should listen. That's holiness, right? That's other. That's set apart for a specific purpose. So why is the seventh day different? What makes it holy? What makes it different? It's God's rest. So I would, strive, I would tell you it's not our work that is holy. It isn't about our striving in fact, I think our striving, at least for me, is often a hindrance and an obstacle to our flourishing. I mean, think about this. That's what I thought about as I was prepping. When was the last time I talked to someone or counseled someone or read in scripture or saw play out in anyone's life or my life? Fullness of joy, reaching full potential, or truly flourishing in the real biblical, spiritual sense of the world while I was constantly worried, anxiety riddled, stressing to achieve that next thing, climb one more rung on the ladder, get past this one obstacle, do it all on my own or be dependent on my own work. See, the world that we live in today really isn't any different than the world Israel lived in or that they encountered or that God reminded them of these things. Played with pagans, pagan gods and false ideas, Israel was called to cease their striving, turn their focus to the Lord and rest in this specific knowledge. What I'm about to say, which is what he invites us to. He brought them into existence as his people. 
He taught them truth, helped them distinguish that truth from error, provided abundantly for them, commissioned them to be his representatives, and promised them what is known as theocratic rest. And that is rest or a ceasing of striving under the divine rule and provision of God. Basically like God saying, I got this. You can rest. It's not about you. It's not about me. And we as his image bearers are called to that. He invites us and models it for us that we as believers can cease from our labors under the law and enter into this divine rest. Not just for a sanctified period of time, which is what the Sabbath is, and that's what it's there to remind us of, but in our lives, in our day-to-day lives as well to commemorate what the Lord has done for us. He invites us, he calls us to rest in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, but also to commemorate and remember and celebrate. And this is where I fall short all the time of all the ways he creates rest for us when we lean into him, when we seek him, when we faithfully pursue him rather than striving to accomplish it on our own this rest of God, this big R rest, the acknowledgement and celebration of what he's accomplished and done is fundamental to our existence, just like the homemade bread. Without it, we will never become what he so lovingly longs for us, fully devoted followers of Christ who love God and love one another because we cannot achieve that on our own because if we could, we would spend our time worrying about that constantly. Did we do enough? Can we get there? Which brings me to my second point, which is God isn't worried about his world. Now, let me take one quick step back. I feel confident that when I said that at the early beginning of the service, somebody out here thought, what do you mean God isn't worried about his world? God cares about everything he created. He's constantly tending to it, caring for his creation, his people. How can this, that's blasphemy. How can he say, God doesn't care or isn't worried about his world. So I want you to hear this distinction because it's important. When I say God isn't worried, I'm not saying God doesn't care. God cares for everything he's created, especially for you and for me and for his people. But he is not worried about his creation. He doesn't fret over what will become of it or what will become of you or what will become of me. He doesn't fret because he already knows. We'll get to that in just a second. Right now, I want you to take one second. I want you to think in your mind, consider your friends, your family, your coworkers, your people you know. Think of that person. I know everybody has one person who is that steady, calm presence no matter the circumstances. Like, maybe it's you. It's not me, by the way. Um, But maybe it's you. Maybe you're that person for people. Maybe you're like me. I look to them all the time and I consciously think, okay, if they're not worried, I don't have to be worried. They can somehow objectively see that anxiety and worry over a situation isn't fruitful or productive, but there's this like calmness that just radiates from them. Either because they see the answer already or most of the time they know that resolution is found in response and not reaction that response is measured and thoughtful and productive, whereas reaction is emotional and impulsive. And if there is one thing that God is not, it is impulsive. He responds perfectly all of the time, 
every time. And what he models for us at the close of the creation narrative is this proper response. It's why he's not worried about his creation. He sits down to rule, to rest, to celebrate the culmination of his perfect work. You have to remember that time in a construct, the way that we see it is not the way God sees it. For God, Jesus' death on the cross, which biblically speaking, where we're reading right now, hadn't happened yet, had already happened. Right? He already knows the culmination. He knows the end of the story. So for him, he sits down to rest and to celebrate the accomplishment because he knows it's already won. And he can rest and celebrate in that assurance of Jesus' atoning work on the cross. He's not worried about his creation, the physical world, the people in it, in the sense of not knowing what will happen or what will come at the end of all things. He's not worried because it's done. So he celebrates and he rests. He is the calm friend who doesn't worry because the end of the story is already written. He wrote it. And we are invited to rest into the same calm and celebration and ceasing of worry with the Lord. And so maybe you're like me, like I got to this point in prepping this sermon and I was like, yeah, that sounds great. But if all of that is true, why are you, maybe you're not, maybe it's just me, why am I so restless? Think of that as a hyphen between the two not restless like busy. Why am I so restless? Because most of the time, the thing that I struggle with the most is I intellectually know God. Emotionally in my heart, I know God, but I struggle to find joy and purpose oftentimes. I find very little time where I am resting and celebrating in the work that Jesus has done. Maybe you find yourself like me, consumed by the anxieties of the world. Work, marriage, parenting, bills, health, friends, family. I feel my anxiety going up reading the list, right? And those are real. They are very, very real. I am not diminishing them. But their realness doesn't mean we're trapped or doomed to be restless. In fact, I would challenge us and me that we're promised exactly the opposite. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and Paul tells us there, he challenges us, he says, don't lose heart. Not to be restless, but that these afflictions that we go through, those lists that I just read, that they are but momentary that they are preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And that eternal weight of glory we're being prepared for is that rest of God, and it's already here, and it's ours to enter into. But it also begs that question, like, do we actually know, do we actually believe that's what Jesus offers? Because that glory Paul writes about is the rest that God offers purchased through the person and work of Jesus Christ. See, I think it's really important for us to remember, and this, I mean, like, if you really spend time thinking about this, what I'm about to say, if you really dig into it, if you really latch onto it, it will blow your mind. Like, nothing will ever spin out of God's control or his kind care. Like, contrast that with your life for just a moment. Maybe there's a fleeting moment in time where you're like, "I, I had it all under control. I mean, it, it, that happens every blue moon, right? You're like, I'm in the zone. I'm pitching the no-hitter. 
right? I'm gonna kill this thing. That's, God's in that zone all the time. It's how he exists. There is no scenario, no circumstance, no anxiety, no worry, no care that he hasn't foreseen, hasn't experienced, hasn't accounted for, and hasn't already defeated. That is foundational to our existence in him. And he calls us to that foundation. It's what Jesus is inviting us into in Matthew. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He doesn't say you can make it for yourself. He says, I will give it to you. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, this invitation is to put down the weight of worry, the burden of striving, the endless labor of pursuing achievement. All the things that we think are gonna give us control that are gonna even give us an opportunity to rest, (laughs) that they actually spin up the exact opposite. And he calls us, he invites us to set those down to take up his yoke that is light and brings rest. Maybe not rest for our physical bodies, but more importantly for our souls, for our spirits, so that we can flourish and find our full weight of glory in him. That is the call that God is putting forth in Genesis chapter two. That is what he is modeling for us. And we are called to remember that. So I'm gonna pray for us in just a moment, and then I'll invite the worship team to come, take their elements, and then we will. Then you are free to come as you feel led. So let's pray. Lord, I just pray tonight that we would find rest for our weary souls, both now, but also feel the weight and the love of that invitation to enter into rest with you, to bask in and celebrate the accomplishment of what you did, what you are doing, and what you have already done and will do. I pray that you would plant those things deep in our hearts, that we would be a people that remind one another that there is rest and joy and fullness to be had in you. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.